Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Three historic pubs circle what will become Curzon Street Station, the hub for HS2 in Birmingham, and they have endured very different fates. The Fox and Grapes has been demolished, and the Eagle and Tun, made famous by UB40 and, more recently, by Ed Sheeran, has just been earmarked for destruction. Yet the Woodman, just yards away, has survived the cull. In this episode of HS2, Walking the Line, we chat to Will Young, licensee at The Woodman, about running a boozer, his hopes for the future, and why he's confident HS2 will be a positive for the city and the region. We also meet a couple of his customers over a pint who share their own expert insights into HS2. Finally, we sit down with journalist Graham Young, who's been mapping the changes to the city centre over the past three decades and mourns the loss of two of the city's iconic pubs. HS2, walking the line. It's a brisk, wintry morning when I turn up at the door of the Woodman in Eastside City Park, just a short hop from Moore Street Station. The Woodman's a historic gem, dating back to 1896, and it's been lovingly cared for, abounding in original Victoriana. The Woodman juts out like a solitary island in a sea of modernity, with Millennium Point, Birmingham City University and student accommodation blocks lined up in front of it, all shimmering glass and straight lines. Subject to government go-ahead, and to successfully finding a developer, the monolith that will be Curzon Street Station will likely be here within a decade. Over a morning coffee, I chatted to licensee and co-owner Will. Will, hello. Thank you so much for letting us come into your beautiful pub. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background and the pub that we sat in. Hey, yeah, well, it's, uh, it's lovely to have you. Um, always happy to talk about local, local issues like this. Um, myself, I've been here just over, uh, just over a year at the Woodman. Um, I came from a pub in the city centre before now, uh, called the Wellington, which is, um, I think, uh, quite, quite a well-loved pub around that area. Um, myself and, and my two partners here, um, we all have our own interests in, uh, well, in Birmingham for one, 
um, in heritage pubs and heritage buildings and in doing what we can to um, to preserve them and keep them alive, uh, which is what we're doing here, or what we're trying to do here at the Woodman. Um, as you say, it's an old pub um, and we think it's got a bright future still. So tell me a bit about your your what you offer here and the type of clients that you get, the type of customers who come and drink here and eat here. Yeah, well, we're, we're very lucky here. Um, we're nestled right between um, two major universities. So you've got Aston um, at the top of the hill there and Birmingham City Uni. Um, as well as the Royal Conservatoire. So a large uh, large part of our customers um, are either students uh, or people that use the universities, uh, lecturers or visiting teachers. Um, and because of the nature of the unis, we get people from sort of all around the world, really, that are visiting. Um, so they're, they're a huge part of our, um, of our customer base. And then we've also obviously got the locals and the regulars that, that have been coming to this pub for far longer than I've been here. And, um, I mean, describe the pub. Obviously, people can't see what I can see, which is a, a beautiful traditional pub. Is that part of your ethos that you want to... Oh, for you sure. You don't want to trendify it and turn it into a bistro pub. This is this is a real um, locals pub. Yeah, I think there, there are enough... We, the people that run the, the trendy the trendy bars and the trendy restaurants and the, the very ultra-modern things, they're, they're doing a great job. But I think... Um, there needs to be somebody on this side sticking up for the traditional and the classic sort of buildings. And that's that's what we're trying to do. Um, the, the, I guess the ethos at the Woodman would be um, a classic pub with a with a modern feel kind of thing. So that when, people, when, when we're busy, when all of our customers are in enjoying themselves, it really feels like a buzzing place. But then you look around and see the um, the Victorian tile work and the, 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 old, the old school mirrors and things. And um, I think you really get a sense of the history as well. I guess that's what makes it so much more interesting that what is juxtaposed with your pub is what is essentially the future of rail travel. So for those who don't know, the Woodman pub is sitting yards away from the blue boards which signify the boundary of HS2 land. Just a few yards from where we're sat will one day be Curzon Street Station, the hub for HS2 in Birmingham. Um, it is quite a contradiction. Do you th how do you think the pub will sit once that project is up and running? That's a huge question, um, how the pub will sit, sit when HS2 gets here. I mean, we really, really can't tell. We don't even know when it's going to be built yet or if. Um, but we've got a few thoughts, and one of them is that the... Um, the area will change, not just this pub, but the, the Digbeth itself. I've, I've spoken to other uh, pub managers and, and local businessmen around the area, and uh, everyone's slightly worried that the area will be um, gentrified, I guess is one word, or, or in some other way change from being a, an independent artsy sort of area that Digbeth is into um, hotels and, and other sort of big business concerns. Um, so I guess that's more general for our pub. I mean, I would I would hope that we that, that trade would would carry on um, being good and that we'd, we'd we'd have some more customers and a greater reach for commuters from London and wherever else. Um, but I do have a slight worry for for our regulars and our customers at the moment that the pub will change for them. Um, prices in the area will probably uh, will probably go up with with a new multi million pound station and. Um, people stopping for sort of half an hour before their trains, if that's the, the way it's going to go, 
isn't going to have the same sort of atmosphere or same feel to it as as um, as our customers at the moment who come and sit here for a couple of hours and have a nice afternoon drink or or whatever. How is how is, how is the impact of HS2? Um, how are you already feeling the impact of HS2? So we're talking about sometime in the in the future. I think there's talk of. 2030 before things start to really um, come online and mm. and trains start to run we're now in 2019 and you've already had a few years of of upheaval around here how has that impacted on you already so the actual um the, the physical work that's going on the construction the surveying and the, the there was an archaeological dig which which i found fascinating and i think um I think quite a few people did. I, w I would say that, um, to my mind, the HS2 project so far has, has very much tried to look after the local local businesses and, and I hope the local residences that have been affect, uh, affected. Um, so that there's been there's been several things. Used to, we're used to seeing orange jackets now. The orange high vis is what the HS2 project uh, workmen seem to wear. Um, and we're used to seeing those around now. So, and but anytime there is any sort of dig, uh, utilities survey that needs to to go on, or archaeological dig, or anything like that, um, they always let us know, and always are very keen to work around the hours that we um, operate instead of coming at four in the morning and waking everyone up, kind of thing. Um, so, so so far, the impact on you has, has I guess, been been relatively minimal, or at least neutral, in, yeah. the, in that you're aware that something's going on. Um, but in terms of how that's impacted on you personally, it sounds like they're doing their best to minimise. They are. They are. I think that's fair to say they are. And and to be honest, myself and the, the other local um, other residents or businesses that I've spoken to are, are supportive of the project as a whole. I think. Uh, being positive about things is is really the way to go. There's so much negativity these days about pretty much any anything in, about government or government projects or or politics. That um, it's nice to be positive. I do think we we're going to benefit from a high speed rail network in the UK if we ever get it. Um, but obviously, that yeah, the, the concerns between now and in however many years time when they finish, are, are that they don't cause unnecessary upheaval or unnecessary um, distress to 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 either us or, or residents. Before I came here, um, before I even came to the pub, I I, um, I was a supporter of the project, of the idea. Obviously, I'm not um, a government contractor or someone who has intricate knowledge of financials of a huge government project, but I think as an idea, I think it's a positive step for, for the UK. Um, so I do want to, I do want to stress that. I think it's going to be great, but obviously, it's going to be a rocky road up until that point kind of thing um but yeah no, myself and my partners here we we all think it's we all think it's great we we all hope it gets um funded properly and costed properly and and finalized sort of thing yeah there's never been any threat to the pub has there in terms of a compulsory purchase order because I'm looking out the window. Um, for those who know the Woodman, we've got right opposite us a historic building that's um, that's been here quite a while that is also boarded off and land belonging to HS2 disappears off into the distance. Behind us is going to be Curzon Street Station. To the right of us, there's HS2 land. Yeah. You're almost stuck on an island in the middle of, of HS2 land, if you like. Have you ever been concerned that um, HS2 may be knocking on your door one day and saying actually we need your land well when I first came uh, when I first came to the Woodman the 
existing partners who I who I joined here um, used to say this pub's a survivor, and this was before before HS2 uh, was even sort of being talked about because. If you look around this uh, <clears throat> this area, like you say, um, there's there's a multitude of brand new spanking buildings of the last five or ten years. There's so much going on around Birmingham, and we our little 1896 pub is is stuck on the middle of this of this park. And to be honest with you, I, I love that. I think the fact that you see us in a sea of of sort of modern buildings um, is a testament to to this pub, to be honest, um, and to the local area. We haven't to answer your question. We haven't. Um, had anyone knocking on our door asking to compulsory purchase us or um, or to knock us down? And I touch wood every time I um, every time I say this, but no, we're, we're apparently safe. Um, so I'm hoping that the woodman will will carry on being a sort of an, a little old school gem in the middle of of an even more modern modern park. So sell us the pub a little bit. If you this is your chance to kind of advertise what what why people should come to the Woodman uh, and not be put off by the fact that they they might be worried that building work is going on around you or that there's disruption. You know we're in a really quiet little place right now. Yeah. Why should um, why should people come and, and visit you and knock on your door? Um, we're a friendly pub. We're, uh, the Woodman's a very friendly pub. We we focus on basically the. Um, on the on the basics, we believe that getting the basics right creates a place that people want to come and see. So we're not all singing or dancing. We're not a flashy pub. Our, our drinks, are, our, our products are high quality. Our staff are high quality, and our and our customers are high quality. And it's always a lovely atmosphere in here. So you should pop on down if you've not been down to Eastside Park in a while. Um, yeah, come and see us. So, Will, you're in pretty much uh, non-stop dialogue, I gather, with HS2. What, what, has, um, what has been the, your experience of engaging with them? Yeah, um, well, there's, there's a couple of people I know, I know by name now um, who seem to, I think, I think their role is looking after the people in this, in this area on Eastside Park and the, the residents and businesses. Um, and to be honest, they've been, they've been um, in contact with me about every little thing that, would, that, that they need to do if there's a... Um, any works that need to go on, um, with with whichever contractor, um, they sort of bend over backwards to make sure that that I'm okay with it, and I assume they do that for the the rest of the local uh, businesses. Um, if anything, they they get in contact with me a little bit too much because the way I work, I don't need to be on the phone um, as much as that kind of thing. But no, they they seem to be really um, really making their their best effort to, to, to make sure the, the uh, upheaval is, is minimised and that it works around the, the what is already going on in the park. So, for example, there there were some contractors that wanted to uh, that needed to um, dig a hole on the on the park outside outside the pub um, to I think it was a utility it was a gas gas pipe survey um, and they wanted to do that at nine o'clock and I said well we're not really opening the pub for a couple of hours after that. Um, so they they changed their time uh, to suit when when we would um, when we would be here, um, and that there was no arguments about that. They said that their words were they'll work around us. Um, so from that perspective, although um, people different people at different points of the route will have different experiences, particularly residents, I'm sure um, we've been we've been looked after by by the guys. They they, they really want to make sure it's as easy as possible for us. We touched on one of the concerns i guess around hs2 is the uncertainty do you think that's having an impact on on people and its perception of the project yeah i think that's absolutely right i think this is um 
as with so many things these days in the current current climate, um, it's not the project itself that seems to be the cause of the most um, disagreement. It's it's the or sort of negative feeling. It's the it's the uncertainty. Um, as you say, we've been talking about HS2 for a long time, and even now, um, we're not entirely sure that if it will even go ahead. I mean, the people in the know say it will, but there's no 100% cast iron guarantee. And then even if it does, if it will be in the same form as they talked about last year or five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, and I think that 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 seems to be really sort of government should probably take a lesson from from the, the last few years of of political happenings and realize that it's it's the uncertainty that causes the most distress rather than the project itself, which of course will have its detractors and its supporters. But um, it's really about the fact that nobody seems to know exactly what's going on. I'd be cautious to say just give give government a free rein to 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 do anything they want. But in in terms of HS2, in terms of a high speed rail network for um, our beloved second city um, and our beloved other major cities that will be involved, Manchester, London. Um, I th they originally were talking about Edinburgh. Um, I think we should be behind it. I think I think Birmingham has historically suffered from from sort of a slightly negative self self-perception um which is part of our charm i think we're we don't sing and shout about ourselves but um i do think that birmingham will benefit from from hs2 and i think if anything it will show it, it will possibly show people from from other cities that we're um we're an attractive and uh reasonable place to to base themselves and i think that can only be a positive sat over a pint i find john and mervyn it turns out they have been at a meeting with HS2's training college to discuss links with Chesterfield's Barrow Hill Heritage Railway and Roundhouse Project. John, whose links with railways go back decades, tells me why he thinks HS2 is vital to Birmingham. Well, good morning. Um, very fortuitous that I was in here this morning. I have to say I'm not always in a pub at 12 o'clock, but there we are. Um, I actually started work about 40 years ago, 40 years ago tomorrow, less than a mile from this site. The scene that you see today is very different to 40 years ago because we've had urban decay, we've had regeneration, and what you see outside now is very, very different. And you see people learning new skills and new abilities, and those sort of skills and abilities that simply weren't there when I first started work. So I think for the first time in a long time, there's a lot of hope in this part of the world. Where does HS2 fit in that picture for you? Well, we've got the expanding population. If we want all of the UK to be equally successful to London and the South East, we've got to have good communications. And it's simply not good enough to say, keep putting a sticking plaster on what the Victorians did for us. Outside, we see the first intercity railway from London to Birmingham, that opened in 1838. And most of that railway is still the one that you travel on when you go to London. Now, sorry, that's simply not good enough. We need new infrastructure for the 21st century and beyond. And with that new infrastructure comes new jobs and new opportunities. It's not just for the elite. It's not just for the wealthy. It will not work if it only wants to carry a few people. This is about moving the masses and giving them opportunity. Do you envisage a time where it's scrapped, where people pull back from uh, going ahead with it? Or do you think um, it, it will happen? 
No, it will happen, and it will happen because it has to happen. Unless we all want to grind to a halt. I came in from Birmingham Airport this morning on a train that was absolutely overcrowded. Uh, now, that's not just the fault of those that plan the trains. It's the fact that you've got a very constrained railway line. It's, it's again, it is Victorian infrastructure that is very constrained. And if I may say, the, the other thing that Birmingham has traditionally not been very good at is getting on and doing things rather than talking about things. Now, this is not a knock at those people that are in power today, but in the time it has taken us to extend our tram from Snow Hill to Five Ways, up in Manchester, sorry, the dreaded M word, they've opened four entire new tram lines. Now, we just have to get on and do things sometimes. Mervyn shares his enthusiasm for the scheme, but he's also wary of any talk of cost-cutting to links to the north. It turns out that you've got quite a, um, a background in, in railways as well. Tell me a little bit about what you do, Mervyn. Yeah, I'm the uh, managing director of uh, Barrow Hill Roundhouse in Chesterfield, Derbyshire. Um, I was the founder member to save the Victorian uh, building from demolition. And I was a very, very young 23-year-old. Um, and I've since been a part of the management team that's uh, built that into a, not only into a very important heritage uh, visitor centre, but also there's another side to the site, it's a 20-acre site, which is a commercial railway depot, and we rent space to commercial railway companies, and that's how we generate income to, um, to fund the costs, and the wages and the, and the overhead, overheads. Um, I'm down here today with John and other people from the Chesterfield Borough Councils to meet HS2 College, because we're part of the project uh, in the north. So yes, obviously I'm a fan of HS2 and, and I agree very much with what John's just said about it. You're really, I guess, hoping that any rumours of the northern part of the Y uh, or even to the east over to, over to Nottingham, rumours of its potential demise as part of a review are not going to go ahead. What, what, what are you hearing in terms of that likelihood or possibility? Well, well, there is some concern. Uh, when I go to the Borough Council meetings, there is some concern that that, uh, as you say, the why is going to be removed to save costs. Uh, and we, I, what I've done at Barrow Hill and what uh, my, myself and the management team at Barrow Hill have done has been for the benefit of the area. Um, we want to increase the, uh, the uh, area. It's a very, de de very uh, demoralised area with the closure of the pits and what have you. So we'll be very disappointed if it gets removed and we're hoping that uh, there's some uh, cost-cutting elsewhere and some sensible... Uh, objective viewing of how to fund it so it can come to us. So we sat, we, we sat yards from what will be Curzon Street Station, will be the, the hub for uh, HS2 coming in and out of Birmingham, in a Victorian pub built 1896, I think. But outside, it's, it's a very different picture, very modern. Is this Birmingham to you? Does this, does this epitomise that, that, that mix of the traditional heritage and very modern and forward thinking and is HS2 almost symbolic of that for Birmingham do you think? Well I don't come to Birmingham that often um, but what I can come and compare it to other cities is I think it, it should be like that what we've done at, at Chesterfield is we've created a, a modern uh, maintenance depot alongside a Victorian a beautiful Victorian building and I think that that more and more you go around the country people are doing that to councils and, and authority and planning a Execs are all beginning to realise the value of the of the history that we've got left and how it should be incorporated and integrated into the into the modern system as well. So I think that this is a great pub and I think it's a great place. And if that goes ahead opposite, it's going to be a fantastic asset to the whole area. Graham Young has been reporting on the transformation of Birmingham city centre for nearly thirty years. 
He's also traced the fortunes of the city's iconic bands, the likes of Black Sabbath, Duran Duran and UB40 among them. The loss of pubs like the Eagle and Tun and the Fox and Grapes are not merely about having fewer boozers and fewer places for up-and-coming musicians. It's about the loss to the community. The loss of two of these historical pubs right on the edge of the Curzon Street site has been painted as something of a blow to the city. Is that how you see it? Absolutely, because I think there's a reason why pubs were built on street corners. They were the cornerstones of society. And uh, take them away and you've got nothing left. So tell me a little bit about uh, the first of the pubs to, to be gone um, as a result of the arrival of HS2. Well, the Fox and Grapes, uh, effectively, it, its fate was sealed a few years ago when there was a fire. And that just gave the council the perfect excuse to flatten it. And uh, city historian Carl Chin was aghast that the best part of 200 years of history disappeared one weekend in September um, 20. 18 I think it was and uh, it was literally gone overnight the council closed down Park Street and I went to look at it the next day and it was just this pile of bricks with the rotunda sticking out the top of it in the distance and that horrible smell of damp wet plaster and the atmosphere was rank with desolation it was just horrible to see a building that would have been um, the heartbeat of that area, right next to the cemetery where all those bodies were then dug up by HS2. The, the Brummies who built the city unceremoniously dug up a year ago in January 2019. Many of them would have gone for a pint in the Fox and Grapes. So we dug up the bodies, we flattened the boozer, We've chopped down the biggest selection of mature trees next to what was the Hotel Latour, now the, Ho now the Clayton Hotel. They've gone and there's nothing left. And if HS2 does not happen, what then? We've got nothing to hang our history onto. There's no coat hook left. Tell me a little bit about that pub that you've just referenced very evocatively. Uh, what do you think life would have been like in there? In fact, how, how long has it been there? Well, as I say, I think it was the best part of 200 years old. So you're looking at uh, six, seven, eight generations of Brummies going in there for pints. I never went into it myself. Sadly, I should have done, I suppose. And um, But it always, even when it was there, it, it was just left on its own next to, the bomb, next to the bomb site Albert Street car park that was just used as a cheap place to park for people running into Marks and Spencers when that was popular. So I guess... The justification for knocking it down was where it was, out on a limb, the fire. But we need to think bigger than that. We need to think that if that was still here in another 100 years, people would be coming along and think, look at this boozer, it's nearly 300 years old. How amazing it survived the Second World War. It survived everything. And then you get a, some kind of sense of continuity and historians will always say to you, if we, if we don't know where we came from, how do we know where we're going? And uh, every time Birmingham knocks down one of these buildings, it's just terribly sad. And isn't it remarkable how so many of them end up on their own, but then, oh dear, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. St. Luke's Church at the corner of Bristol Street, let's flatten that. 
let nobody think that that could be a wonderful community centre for all the new buildings that will rise next door to it in the next few years. Um, the Fox and Grapes, oh, that's all by itself, or we might as well knock it down then. Island House was a wonderful Edwardian building, a bit, a bit like those flat iron buildings that you see in the United States, except it was a pocket-sized version. So they go and build a Hotel Latour about a decade ago, and then they flattened that just to build a gravel car park surrounded by featherboard wood fencing. <laughs> and the mind just boggles at what goes on in planners' minds as to why we cannot save these gems. There might not be the Elysee Palace or anything amazing, but they do give us a connection with all the people who made this city the greatest city in the world, which is what it was at one time, you know, uh, the Chamberlain uh, factor and, and local government. Anybody who reads into that history will tell you what a brilliant pioneering city Birmingham was. And that was on top of all the Industrial Revolution stuff that gave the world the ability to make anything that it wanted and, and created the, the universal world that we have today. And we've destroyed that heritage in our own city, and it's just wanton vandalism. And, and now we can't even go into a place where you could have a pint and a chat to kind of rekindle that, that atmosphere. That segues nicely into uh, the fate of a second pub. In terms of recent history, the Eagle and Tun had it in spades, really, didn't it? It was it was connected very closely to uh, one of the biggest bands that um, has ever come out of Birmingham. Tell me a little bit about the Eagle and Tun and its quite exceptional history. Well, th this was a much younger pub than the Fox and Grapes, but uh, still very old in, in, our, in our sense. You know, it was a built around the turn of the uh, um, 20th century in the very late Victorian era, lovely red bricks. Again, it was on the corner, the, cor the cornerstone of, of that community on New Canal Street, not far from Curzon Street Railway Station, which in 1838 be became the gateway to other parts of the country by rail from, from this fair city, uh, a time when the forward motto for the city was coined and um, it is the world's largest freestanding monumental piece of railway architecture that still exists, Curzon Street Station, and it's been boarded up all of these years, and, and yet the pub just 100 yards along the road has survived. And how strange that w we want to build a, a high-speed railway service at the expense of this pub. <laughs> Again, you you really just can't make it up. And if, if, if you stand back far enough, you just see this vast area of nothingness at the moment. There's nothing there. We're waiting for HS2. Over to the left on, um, on the other side of Curzon Street, you'll see all the new buildings there, the uh, Emporium student building, all the um, Birmingham City University buildings, the, the uh, conservatoire that's gone there, the, uh, the School for Talented Children. So much has happened on that side. And then they built East Side City Park in 2012. But then to the right of that, all that you see is the Woodman and Curzon Street together. Like I say, just acres of nothingness. And then to the right, just this little building all by itself now, the Eagle and Tun. And you think to yourself, in an area the size of Pluto, why can't that little Eagle and Tun building be incorporated into the big grand new scheme of things? Why is a little pinprick of a building in the way of everything that it has to be knocked down? And um, that's just talking about it as a city pub. But in the mid-80s, 
it kind of took on a new lease of life because UB40, who'd been founded in 1979 in another Birmingham pub, they played their first gig on the 9th of February in uh, 1979 at the Hare and Hounds in King's Heath. Four or five years later, they, they rocked up at the Eagle and Ton and recorded their video for what would become their first number one single, Red Red Wine, and uh, a, a song which helped to turn them into a global band and has given them four decades of success. And it later featured on an album cover as well. So like so many other music venues in Birmingham, we're about to lose somewhere that, that helped to give the world great music too. So it's not just the Cornerstone building, it's part of the fabric of our lives, this pub. A few months before the final bell rang, the most popular star of his era, Ed Sheeran, popped up there with, with our own JK, the grime artist who's a Birmingham City fan, to, to do some stuff in there themselves. And, um, and you think to yourself, this is almost like John Lennon turning up in a place, you know, just, just to give it that extra sheen that we could make some value of in a tourist sense so that when people arrive from London on HS2, the first thing they can do is go into the pub that Ed Sheeran uses. And um, it, it was on the back of that I got in touch with uh, Brian Travers, the uh, saxophonist with UB40, the man who gave them their distinct sound with hits like Food for Thought back in the day. And I'd met Brian in the pub in uh, the beginning of uh, 2016 when it finally reopened after several years of not, not being uh, able to serve a single pint. And uh, so I phoned up Brian and I said, um, I said, hey, Brian, what, what, what do you make of this? I said, Ed Sheeran's just been in the Eagle and Sun a few weeks ago. And now it looks like it's going to be knocked down. What, what do you think we could do with this pub? And, and he had the idea that well, maybe Ed, if he if he is worth 160 million quid, according to the Sunday Times Rich List, maybe he could buy it and just move it brick by brick to the Black Country Living Museum, which, which seems to like older buildings and like Birmingham, and the, or, or even the Avoncroft Museum at Bromsgrove, uh, which has a collection of older buildings. You know, if the Avoncroft can can have one of those little tin pot sheds that used to be in Yardley. That was built in the second, the prefabs built in the Second World War around that era. If it can have one of those, why, why can't it have the bricks rebuilt of the Eagle and Ton? So anyway, I did this story with, with, with Brian. We put it out there, and uh, the feedback I've had for, from one or two people in the know is, is is that you know, sadly, the Black Country Living Museum is not interested in this kind of uh, acquisition, even if Ed was prepared to fund it. So. Um, you kind of get to know all of these superstars, you chat with them, you, you you bang a few heads together, you create a spark of imagination and you think to yourself, well, you know, let's have a go then. But nothing ever happens. I'm, I'm sure the Black Sabbath boys, if they'd really wanted to, could have bought the crown themselves, but, but it's not their job to do that. And they're probably a bit long in the tooth to go down that road. And, and, but, but we're just losing so much history. And uh, I, I was in the... Eagle and Tun, the day before it died, trying to talk to the owner. I, I wanted to do a proper interview with him, but um, for whatever reason, he 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 just declined. And um, so uh, even the guy who owned it wasn't prepared to go the extra mile to give us that piece of history, having owned it for 10 years. Um, 
So, so that that was a little bit disappointing as well. That uh, he 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 just felt his hands had been completely tied by HS2. He didn't see any value in sticking up for for this pile of bricks that that is soon to be. And um, so, if the people who own these buildings, the people who made the names in the buildings, can't come together to salvage them, then the city council, quite frankly is probably not, and certainly doesn't seem to want to, give a toss. And certainly speaking to the owner of The Woodman, obviously his, he, he's survived, you know, his pub, uh, his pub is going to stay. But clearly his concern is, will it retain the unique character and vibe that it has currently? Or will the arrival of HS2 take away that, the kind of soul of that pub? I think what we need to do is just to look at blending the old with the new. There's nothing wrong with new. New is tremendously exciting. It's fresh. It gets people excited. But what really brings people to places, I think, is the sense of history. Nobody goes to Venice looking for a skyscraper, do they? Or Pompeii thinking that they're, oh, let, let, let's rock up in Selfridges. The only reason they go there is to soak up thousands of years of history, hundreds of years of history. And um, even if you only leave one of these cornerstones in an area in the way that one or two pubs have survived, luckily so far in Digbeth, and as long as you build something new around the old bit, you still get a sense of where you are. I mean, I, I was I'm mean, digressing a little bit here, but this is to try to explain why I'm so passionate about things in Birmingham, even though I don't come from here. I've lived here for more than 30 years, but I grew up in Blackburn and I was lucky that my dad used to drive me around the country. And when I looked out of the car window, I knew where I was by looking at the buildings. And, and I think if you did the same thing with a kid today, he wouldn't have a clue where he was. If you suddenly took the blindfold off and said, where are we now? And he looked at the, ne the next building with cladding on and glass how would he know where he was? But I could tell where I was in the country by looking at the bricks, the stonework, the wood. So my dad was a builder and he used to explain things like that. Like, this is, this is Yorkshire Stone, lad. And um, you, you, you instantly had a sense of identity. You come into big parts of Birmingham now and you just wouldn't have a clue where you were. The decision on HS2 is due any day. Whatever's decided... The fate of these three Birmingham pubs is sealed. The Fox and Grapes is gone. The Eagle and Tun is going. But the Woodman is standing firm. A sign that the past and the future can happily coexist. You can download HS2, Walking the Line, from wherever you listen to your podcasts. But for exclusive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review HS2, Walking the Line, and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production for Birmingham Live. You can find out more about Laudable and our other local podcasts by following us on Twitter and Instagram. HS2, walking the line.